Well, good morning to each of you. It's so good to be with you this morning. We are in a current series, Back to School. Uh, in the interest of time, I'm going to give you a week off from our mission statement. Believe it or not, I'm going to give you a week off. Uh, I have a lot to get through, which means you're going to have to listen faster. Uh, so if you pray with me this morning, uh, as we begin this message, I'd appreciate it. Lord, we're so thankful that we have moments like these this morning where we get to see what hope looks like. Where lives that have been, been broken and, and on the mend somehow come together. Lord, this morning we have a tough message that we need to hear, all of us need to hear. And so I pray that we don't have defensive postures or attitudes, but rather we submit ourselves to you this morning. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, a couple weeks ago, uh, as I was preparing for this message, I was sitting down drinking a cup of coffee, and Janelle came in. She grabbed a cup of coffee and sat next to me, and I said to her, I said, I had the craziest dream last night. And she looked at me, and she said, no way. I had the craziest dream as well. Now, my, my ears perked up in that moment because uh, Janelle actually never remembers any of her dreams. So the fact that she remembered her dream meant that this must have been a weird or good or great dream. And so I was excited. So I said to her, tell me about your dream. And she said, it was really weird. Um, I was in a strange room with my mom and a bunch of strangers. And in this room were a bunch of instructors. But then the the story got a a little crazy after that. She said, but in this room with the strangers and my mother and, and the instructors were bears and lions and tigers that looked like they had rabies and hadn't been fed for over a month. And I said, oh my goodness, were you in the church? And she said, no, I was at home. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, uh, (laughs) so she said, she goes on to tell the story. She said, so we're sitting here and these bears and these lions are circling us. And the instructors begin to tell us, listen, if for some reason a bear or a lion begins to attack you, what you need to do is you need to make yourself as big as possible. And you need to scream as loud as you can. Which, by the way, there's a rule for that in real life. If, if it's black, fight back. If it's brown, get down. If it's white, good night. That's the rule when it comes to bears. Uh, so they, they were instructing uh, everybody in the room how to, how to fend off if, if they attacked. And sure enough, you know, uh, this bear approaches her mom, showing his nine-inch nails and his gnarly, piercing teeth. And... And instead of doing what the instructors had asked them to do, her mom crawled up into the fetal position. And Janelle began to yell, Mom, do what they told you to do. Just do what they asked you to do. Just do it right now. And I don't know how the story ended, because all I could think is what a great sermon illustration this would make for today. And so I don't, you know, I don't know if she died or not. I can assure you her mother-in-law is alive. Our mother-in-law is alive. And she's still as sweet as ever. But today, that kind of ties along with our idea of the student that we want to discover today. The bummed out brainiacs. The bummed out brainiacs. I want you to go back to school with me and I want you to remember these people. These were the people who were particularly intelligent. They were extremely intuitive. And they were extremely cerebral. I mean, these were people that literally could explain to you quantum physics or quantum theory without ever looking at a textbook. These were students that could solve for X without ever sitting in a math class. I mean, these were the students who were extremely smart and bright, but they would come home with a report card full of Fs. 
You see, the problem for the bummed out brainiacs is they never actually applied themselves. They were smart enough for school, but they never applied themselves in school. And so the issue for them became this. Maybe, maybe they were so smart that school was just boring. Or maybe they thought institutional learning was a waste. I think it, in some ways, uh, maybe they found ontological discussions around campfires and some chemically enhancing substances more, uh, you know, more enlightening and, and, and exciting. But the problem with the bummed out brainiacs, even, even with their intelligence, they never executed. You see, these were students that were full of potential. But potential is only a possibility. You see, future potential only becomes a present reality when potential is performed. When it becomes an action, when it becomes a performance. And so you know these, you remember these students. They never actually lived up to their potential. And then you have these people. Sometimes the bummed out brainiacs were the ones who would who would say they could do all these things, but they never lived up to what they say they could do. You remember these folks, right? They would tell you about their knowledge and everything that they knew and and everything that they could do, but when it came time to live up to it, they never did it. You remember these students, right? And so maybe you use this line on some of those folks. You would say something like this. You would say, I'll believe it when I see it. Right? Some of you said that to them. I'll believe it when I see it. So this morning, I have to be honest with you. I think our greatest struggle in our experiential faith journey is that, that we are really smart people. That we know who God is. That we, we in some sense get it and we are good at learning, but we're not so good at living. We're really good at learning, but we're not so good at living. And so what's interesting is think about it this way. What if our kids treated your words the way that we treat God's word? What if I told my son, Carter, I need you to go and clean your room. And he said, Dad, just just wait a minute. Uh, what do you mean by clean? Perhaps we should look at the Greek or parse the word or get in a small group in a Sunday school class and talk about the parentological significance of what uh, clean means. No, we don't do that. We expect, we expect our kids, our kids to simply do what we've asked them to do. And so I think the greatest fear is that we are a people who who in some sense have become the bummed out brainiacs. And so I kind of want to ask this question this morning. We are faced with the daily tension of living out the beauty and mystery of our faith to a people who don't believe. To a people who are guarded. And we have failed at living out so much so that they are looking at us saying, we'll see it when we believe it. So the question I have for us this morning is this. What, what does the world see from the church today? What does the world see from us today? i got to be honest, when I lived in Topeka, uh, Topeka, Kansas, we lived a few blocks from Westboro Baptist. Many of you are familiar with Westboro Baptist. Those are the people that hang out on streets with signs that say God hates pretty much everybody but them. And that everybody's going to hell. Now what I found interesting about these people is I think in some sense they become the face of Christianity and of the church. What's interesting is when you hear about this church, you would think that they're a mega church, that they're huge. But when you drive by, you'll realize that they're only a church of pretty much a third of our size. A small church. But you've got to give it to them. 
They live out what they believe. I mean, these are doers. These are people that are acting. These are people who act on what they believe. And my fear is that the people who don't believe, the people who are guarded and walled off from this thing called the Christian faith, this becomes the faith of our story. But this is not the story that shapes us. You see, the story that shapes us is we believe in a God that has sent his son Jesus into our world. And he meets us in this present moment. And God takes on the identity of humanity to meet the needs of humanity. But to be with us, Jesus first had to be. Jesus had to live. What if God just talked about sending his son to us? We would be in some real trouble. So this morning, I know I often talk about the church Maybe in negative ways, but I think it's because I care so much about the church. And I see the potential of what could be if we would just live up to it. And so I think in many ways we've become a gathering of individual listeners rather than a united body of doers. And Jesus, Jesus this morning has some clear words for us. So if you'll turn with me to Matthew 7, Matthew 7. I'm going to be reading from the message today, uh, so you don't have the message in front of you, but you can listen. I'll start with the NIV, and then I'll move into the message. But we're in Matthew 7, verses 13. Matthew 7, verses 13. By the way, there's a Bible in front of you. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, feel free to take those home with you. You're more than welcome to take those. Uh, We would love for you to have God's word with you. Here's what it says. It says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only, only a few find it. You see, in Matthew, up to this point, Jesus is giving us his kingdom manifesto, his life litany of of what he believes. And so we find Jesus on a hillside teaching his disciples. Now, it's like a school fight that's gone bad. At first, nobody notices, but then everybody starts gathering around. It's like a huge magnet. So Jesus is teaching his disciples, and people start gathering around on this hillside. And Jesus, right here in Matthew 7, 13, is kind of beginning to land the plane on his sermon. And he realizes that conclusions capture people's imaginations. And so what Jesus does in, this, in, in, in the ending of his sermon is he begins to paint us a picture of what this, this, this litany, this manifesto that Jesus gives us looks like. And Jesus realizes that you can't paint a picture with one brush and one paint color. But rather, he begins to use parables and imagery He uses different brushes and different colors to begin to paint this picture of what the kingdom looks like at the end of his sermon. And at the very center of this painting is us. And we'll get to that significance in a minute. But what's interesting is he begins to talk about this narrow gate. Now, you have to understand that Jesus' listeners would have understood fully what he was talking about. You see, in the old walled Jerusalem, they had big gates and they had narrow gates. Big gates where you could, you could herd a whole cattle through, or you could have crowds just kind of enter through. There was also the narrow gates, or these steps that would lead up and over the walls. And only one person, or one animal, or one cart could get through. 
And quite frankly, nobody wanted to wait on the narrow gate. Everybody wanted to, to get in quickly. And so they were in with the crowd. And I think what Jesus wants to warn us this morning about is being in the flow. That we somehow get caught up without even knowing it. Or we just get caught up because we're in a hurry. Or we get caught up because we are shaped by this world. I love what Paul says. He says, do not conform to the pattern, the politics, the powers of this world. Be renewed by the, by, by the changing, the transformation of your mind. Now, we often associate that with the little things that we shouldn't do. And we completely ignore the big things. The big things that kind of shape who we are. Let, let me give you an example. I think, I think much of this flow in our culture is about an us versus them mentality. I mean, let's, you don't have to look any further than the election season. I wish I could take a vacation during election season because it just drives me nuts. But the reality is, this, is, is we are fed information and we end up choosing one side or the other. And the reality is, is most of us will begin to choose one side or the other. But what we do is we begin to look at the other and we begin to have this us versus them mentality. That if you don't agree with me, I'm not going to listen to you and you are on the wrong side. Us versus them flow. We're caught in that. I think in many ways we are caught. We are caught in this anxious present society. When the fall happened, I want you to notice that one of the things that happened was that Eve began to resource herself. And so much of what our culture is built on is this idea of consuming as much as we possibly can in case our neighbor gets it before we do. And so rather than living in the flow of neighborliness, we get completely caught up and adversarial competition, the culture of adversarial competition. And our neighbors, our neighbors become our enemies because we're fighting over stuff. We're afraid. There's, it's called the myth of scarcity that all of a sudden stuff will be gone and if we don't have it now, we'll die. And so our neighbors become our enemies. I think the us versus them mentality comes in this way too, that, that we'll begin to wall off, we'll become fearful of, we will threaten those people that, that present a danger to the good, which we would see as our lives. That if something threatens me, if they threaten me, I will cut them off. I will threaten them. I will bully them. I will. This is kind of the flow that we're caught up in. The us versus them mentality. And Jesus wants to say to us, this is what Paul warns us against. It's the narrow gate that leads to life. And I love what Brian Son says in his book, Farewell to Mars. His last chapter says this. It says, there is no us versus them. There is only us. My friends, that is narrow gate thinking. There is no us versus them. There is only us. And so Jesus wants to warn his listeners today that what he has said up to this point, and we'll get to that in a minute, what he has said up to this point is narrow gate thinking, not narrow-minded thinking. Because I think when you begin to discover who Jesus is, his arms are open to everybody. But he begins to warn us. He says this. I love this in the message. In verse 13, he says, Don't look for shortcuts to God. Or excuse me, I don't know, 13 and 21. He says, knowing the correct password, saying master, master, for instance, isn't going to get you anywhere with me. What is required is serious obedience. Hearing this. 
doing what my Father wills. I can see it now at the final judgments. Thousands of you strutting up to me and saying, Master, we preached the message. We bashed the demons. Our God-sponsored projects had everyone talking. And do you know what I'm going to say to you? You missed the boat. All you did was use me to make yourself important. You don't impress me one bit. Get out of here. Jesus is painting a picture with the narrow gate, but then he begins to say something that begins to move us. So my my question this morning is this, is what does the Father will? What is the Father's will for this world? You see, I think doing becomes the backbone of all believers. It's no longer about theory or theologizing or classes, but it's in the doing. You see, doing is carrying out of the kingdom ethics. It is the embodiment of God's intentions. And it's wanting the Father's will to be the living will of all people who are hurt and broken. That's what the Father's will is this morning. And we only need to look back just a few chapters to see what the Father's will is for us. I think as well as this, lives filled with gentleness and humility. Lives that do not subdue others, but serve others. His will pursues restorative justice, as we call it righteousness. His will is that we would become instruments of peace for the world and not subject ourselves to the hatred of this world. His will is that we rejoice in good times and in the bad because the presence of God is enough to sustain us in every frailty and deadly circumstance. His will is that we make right what is not right when it comes to our relationships with others because we have to realize that our relationship with Christ is only as deep as our relationship to others created in Christ. His will is that our greatest allegiance is in his power and not our nation's power. His will is that we learn to love our enemies and that we live by an us mentality. That our prayer lives, this is his will, our prayer lives would begin to reflect what he wants and not what we want. His will is that we begin to forgive people when forgiveness feels impossible. His will is that we wouldn't worry about tomorrow's things, but, but, but live in the present with everything that he provides. His will, my friends, is that your life becomes a light in the darkness. And his will is that you will begin to seek his kingdom. So, what I want you to hear this morning is God's will, Jesus' will, Father's will is in these things. This is what the narrow gate looks like. And people will hear Matthew 5, they'll hear the Beatitudes, they'll hear everything that I just mentioned. And often they'll dismiss it because they think, there's no way we can live up to that expectation. There's no way we can do those things that God is asking us to do. That will only happen when God's kingdom is fulfilled. But can I, can I, can I tell you something this morning? That part of God's kingdom already came when Jesus came to earth. And we are living beings of his present kingdom on earth as in heaven. When we pray that prayer, Lord, your kingdom come on earth as in heaven... We are essentially saying, Lord, make us instruments of the very things that you will to the people who need you most. And so Jesus expects, he expects that we live by these things. 
Because choices matter. Actions matter. What we do matters. Lives, my friend, are at stake. He goes on to say this. This is what the message says. So if you're offended by these words, I apologize. He says, these words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life. Homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build your life on. If you work these words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who built his house on a solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, and a tornado hit, but nothing moved the house. It was fixed to the rock. But if you, I love this, but if you just use my words and Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you're like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach. When a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. Jesus, once again, is painting us another picture with the houses. You see, for the people, as they're standing on the hillside, not far away from there, about 100 miles from there, Herod is building the new temple, which they believe was God's house, which they believe was going to be built upon a rock. And, and Jesus warns in his final sermon in Matthew, he says, the temple will be dis- destroyed if you don't, listen to this, respond to my message. If you don't do what I've asked you to do. Interestingly, it didn't take long before the temple was destroyed. You see, I'm under the conviction. I'm under the conviction that it is that the doing does not happen in a place, but it happens in a people. That God has never moved a physical building or a church to do stuff, but rather he's called people to do that. You see, the the Israelite people believed that the temple was the place where God dwelled himself. This was God's dimension, where heaven and earth met. This is where we experienced the full reality of God. And Jesus comes to say to us this morning, Jesus comes to say to us this morning, he says, You, my friends, forget the temple. Forget the place. Become the people. That allow others to experience God's love, his dimension. That you will bring heaven to earth. And what's interesting is Jesus builds his church upon Peter. A people, a community of believers, not a place. So here's what I want you to know this morning. Here's what I want you to know this morning. I'll get to that in a minute. But I guess my question to us is, are we a bunch of bummed out brainiacs? Are we a bunch of people who have come and we've prayed and we've read scripture and we sang our hearts out and we love God with everything that we have, but walk out as if nothing ever happened? Are we a church filled with potential? I I hate to say it, but the the word potential is starting to bug me a little bit. I kind of cringe when I hear the word potential. Because what potential is saying to us is that we're not living up to our calling, our expectations. Are we a church just filled with potential? So I'm going to give you this groundbreaking thought this morning. 
okay? Get your pencils out. Get your pens ready. If you haven't been listening at all to what we've been saying, open up your minds just for this one minute and hear this. You guys are going to be blown away, I promise. You ready? Just do it. Thank you, Nike, for sponsoring this Christian moment. Just do it. I love what the message says at the end. He says, when Jesus concluded his address, the crowd burst into applause. How come you guys never applaud? <laughs> he burst, they burst into applause. They had never heard teaching like this. Maybe that's why. <laughs> I love this part. Thank you. Here we go. Thank you. They had never heard teaching like this. It was apparent that he was living everything that he was saying. Quite a contrast to the religious teachers of the day. This was the best teaching they had ever heard. My mic is having troubles today. He was living everything that he was saying. See, future potential only becomes a present reality when potential is performed. I'll say it again. Future potential only becomes a present reality when potential is performed, it's executed, it's lived out. Soren Kierkegaard gives the parable of the ducks. I love this. Maybe you've heard this before. It says, there's a town where only ducks live, and every Sunday the ducks waddle out of their houses and waddle down the main street to church. They waddle into the cathedral and they squat in the pews. The duck choir sings, quack, 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 you know. And then the duck pastor comes up and he reads from the duck Bible, quack, 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 you know. And he says this, God has given you wings, quack, quack. With these wings, you can, you can fly over fences. Fences cannot contain you. You have wings and you can fly like birds and the ducks are moved. Quack, 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 quack. They love it. They love the preaching. And then they waddle home. They just waddle home. Amen, we can fly. We just waddle home. Jesus is going to judge us by how we live, not by what we know. And I'm a firm believer that it is unrelenting implementation. Unrelenting implementation of living like Christ that will change lives. It is a matter of life and death. And I think that the reason why we experience present hell on earth is because we remain a potential people. The reason we experience a present hell on earth is because we remain a potential people. And so I'm here to declare this this morning, Juliet first. Uh, we will no longer be a potential people. This church over time, will be known by what it does. And I, I don't mean to say this, but maybe this church will not be for you. Because we will become, we will become a church and a people of doers. I'm, I'm tired of the strategic planning. I'm tired of talking about God's mission. I'm tired of thinking about lost people. What I want to see is our church moving towards those people. My pastor would always say this, where you are, there you are. Well, guess what? Where they are, there we are. 
That's where we will be. We will be a church that is on mission with God, moving and aligning ourselves with what he cares about. I want you to join me on this journey. I love the circles and the pews just as much as you do. And I'm just as uncomfortable when we walk out into our neighborhoods and we knock on doors and we say, what can we do for you that we can't, that you can't do for yourself? It's just as uncomfortable for me. It is just as uncomfortable for me to forgive people when they hurt me. It is just as uncomfortable for me to have dinner with people that I don't even know when you know that you're going to have to keep the conversation going. It is difficult for me to love people that are extremely unlovable. And it's hard to persist and continue with people that don't care as much as you do. But ladies and gentlemen, we must be moved. So here's what I want you to do. Here's your homework. We had some extra art this week. It was beautiful. Thanks, Sandy's grandson, for, for painting a picture for us this week. I love it. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. I love it. I told Sandy, this is great. So here's your homework for this week. One thing, and you'll remember it because it has a lot of ones in it. I'm just going to write it in big letters and numbers. There's no letters. One to one. Can I present this question to you this morning? What if, I'm just saying what if, what if for every minute we spent learning, worshiping, small grouping, Sunday schooling, quizzing, For every minute we spent doing that, we spent another minute out in the community loving people. I mean, think about your week here at church. What does that look like? How many minutes, or for some of you, how many hours are you spending here? And neglect the hours that you're spending out there. So I'm just presenting this idea, a one-to-one, that for every minute we spend learning, we'll spend a minute doing i got to be honest, you go in my office, we have our calendar laid out for the whole year, plastered on the walls. And if you have ADD, then don't go in there because it's, it's crazy. But I was looking at the calendar last week, and I'm thinking to myself, what is keeping us a potential people? And the reality is it's our priorities. Now, I'm all for the things that I'm about to mention. But I'm just asking the question, how does this tie us in with the mission? As we begin to look at the calendar, not one mission moment was listed on that calendar. It was everything like worship service, Sunday school, choir, quizzing. I mean, it was all, and those are not bad things. But the reality is, is a lot of our people who serve here, who lead those things, and and you who participate in them, spend so much time doing that, that. And I ask them this question, how many of you feel rejuvenated on Monday after you spent a whole day here on Sunday? And they're like, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. And I would never do this, but the thought crossed my mind for just a second. What if, what if we erased the entire calendar for the whole year and said we will do three things. Worship, small groups, and community. Those three things. Now, we would never do that. I'm just, 
I'm posing the question to you. What if we simplified everything to the point where we actually felt excited to go out into our communities and to be with people, to invite them over to our houses? One-to-one. We must be doers. I'm going to close with this story. Last night, my my son was uh, in his bedroom. Uh, we were putting him to bed, and Janelle went in and was talking with him. And before bedtime, he had said, Dad, there's, there's a young girl at school who sits in a wheelchair every day on the playground. And he's like, I don't know if she has legs or they just don't work. I'm not really sure. But, but what I notice is that nobody plays with her, that everybody's running around this girl. And I said, well, what do you think you should do, son? He said, on Monday, I think I'm going to go play with her. And then he said, then that night, it's interesting, you could see his mind working, his heart working. Then we read a wonderful story on Martin Luther King Jr. that night. We read the first chapter. And you could see his little mind working last night. And Janelle put him, put him to bed, and she was in there forever, and she came out and I said, what were y'all talking about? And Janelle said, he said to me, Mom, my heart is so sad. Why is my heart so sad? And she said, sweetie, that is God speaking to you to tell you that there are some things in this world that are right. And you are being moved by God to do the things that hurt your heart. We have people in this church that are doers. We have people in this church that that see a need, that see an opportunity for compassion. And they live up to it. But it can't be just individuals in the church. It has to be a collective whole. A united body of doers. And so we're asking you that you begin to practice these things that God has called us to. Nobody's asked you. Nowhere in practicing does it ask for you to be perfect. But is it in the practicing that you become perfected in Christ's love? Every time that you make a conscious decision to live like Christ and not like the world, you present a new path into your brain and you present a new way of living. And the more we practice it, the more we do it without even thinking about it. So ladies and gentlemen, I'm just asking, can we live up to the one-to-one expectation this week? I love how the message says this. He says, my dear dear children, let's not just talk about love, but let's practice real love. This is the only way we will know we're living truly, living in God's reality. Let me pray for you. Lord, this is a, a difficult message for all of us because we struggle with living what we've learned. And so this morning, Lord, would you give us strength? Would you give us guidance? Lord, much of what you have asked us to do seems counterintuitive to who we are as people. But it must become the identity of who we are as God's people. 
Lord, we pray for this church. We pray for the mission of the church. We pray that we might be moved to love people. That we don't love God the object, but that it's in loving other people that we begin to love you. Lord, move us. Stir our hearts. Push us. Make us uncomfortable. But fill us with your presence. Give us your sustaining power. And help us to become the people you've called us to be. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.